the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. She's doing it to protect you. Now, maybe you think that when a network does election coverage, that showing the winner's speech is kind of a no-brainer. Should be. So when you're anchoring the coverage and you decide that it isn't, you might win an award. And now it's time for the Jerk of the Week, starring John Steigerwald. Well, MSNBC's coverage was anchored by one of your favorites, Rachel Maddow. And after the results were in and Trump won, she said this. At this point in the evening, the projected winner of the Iowa caucuses um, has just started giving his victory speech. Uh, We will keep an eye on that as it happens. Uh, We will let you know if there's any news made in that speech, if there's anything noteworthy, something substantive and important. Um, The reason I'm saying this is, of course, there is a reason that we and other news organizations have generally stopped giving an unfiltered live platform to remarks by former President Trump. It is not out of spite. It is not a decision that we relish. It is a decision that we regularly revisit. Um, And honestly, earnestly, it is not an easy decision. But there is a cost to us as a news organization of knowingly broadcasting untrue things. That is a fundamental truth of our business and who we are. And so his remarks tonight will not air here live. We will monitor them um, and let you know about any news that he makes. Yeah, we'll decide if he makes news. Yeah, Rachel's, uh, she's all about the truth. She was all in on the Jussie Smollett hoax. Remember that? She also told you that all you had to do was get that COVID-19 vaccine and you'd not only never get COVID, but you wouldn't give it to anybody else. And, of course, she told you that Hunter's laptop was Russia disinformation. And up until, what, about 20 minutes ago, she was still saying Trump colluded with Russia to win back in 2016. She could have won the award for any one of those examples, but this week she made it official. And Rachel Maddow is the AM1250 The Answer Jerk of the Week. Now, when we come back, did you know your tax dollars were being spent by the Biden administration to train teachers in how to indoctrinate students about the evils of Donald Trump and the MAGA movement? Well, Victoria Taft of uh, PJ Media will be here to explain that for you. And in our second half hour, Gavin Newsom did something right, but probably for the wrong reasons. He said he'll veto a bill that would outlaw tackle football For kids under 12 in California, stick around. Well, just in case you didn't think Donald Trump, uh, Republicans, conservatives, had enough trouble with the media, the federal government, and you know who's in charge there right now, has a a media literacy program that uh, I guess is using your money to smear conservatives. Victoria Taft of PJ Media and the Adult in the Room podcast is here to try to explain it, aren't you, Victoria? 
Well, certainly, it's great to be in Stagger World, young man. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. It's always good to have you. Mm-hmm. haven't talked to you for a while. So what is, or I guess was, the uh, Targeted Violence and Terrorism Prevention Grant Program? This is a program that is put out by the now uh, Department of Homeland Security. Previously, the State Department ran it, which will come as no surprise, but now this, the uh, DHS has picked it up. And what this is is a granting program and working with an organization out of Rhode Island, a college, in which we find out that they have written a so-called media literacy program written by two ardent leftists who have ties to all kinds of organizations and they've written this um, this plan to instill this quote unquote media literacy into the classrooms of not just their own home base of Rhode Island, but now with the help of the DHS through all of America's schools. And of course, what that does is it begins to inoculate kids against the information brought by conservatives. And so this is uh, uh, it's troubling, and it's done through a couple of different organizations, which are turns out they're the same organization. They uh, cross pollinate with board members and staff. You know, it's like it's like Acorn used to be, where you know Acorn would cross pollinate with every organization and had all kinds of uh, shell organizations, and but you know they all shared the same PO box and the same building. You know how that goes. So that's what's going on here, and they want to not just increase the size they want to spread it like a plague the um the rhode island media education lab is what you're referring to there um yeah it sounds like a pretty scary enterprise it says quote it's uh it's there to quote train educators across the country on how to Mm -hmm. divert students away from conservative ideas and media sources skeptical of the administration's agenda now that sounds fine it's dumb but it's it's i'm paying for it and you're paying well you shouldn't have to pay for that i mean this is you know ever since the obama administration allowed propaganda to be in uh directed at american citizens they reduced the barricades for this kind of information warfare that we've seen nonstop since obama was in office to continue indefinitely until such time that someone else gets in and stops the FBI, stops DHS, stops the CIA, who are all working relatively together to propagandize the United States populace. This is anti-American. It should not be allowed to happen. It is, by all rights, I think, just unethical. It is un unnecessary. And yet what that does is it weaponizes these programs on the American people to criminalize behavior that is First Amendment protected behavior. All you need to do is look around and see what is happening to Donald Trump, January 6th supporters, all of those people. That's all you need to do is look to see how they've weaponized the law against those people. You know, the law was not weaponized against Antifa or BLM, who did far worse than anything anyone did January 6th. I witnessed far worse than anything anybody did on January 6th. It was just breathtakingly awful on January 6th, 2021, because it was people supposedly on the right doing it. But now we've learned far, far more.
that it wasn't just people on the right doing it. In fact, there were Asians provocateur doing it, which was all opened up, allowed to happen because of this weaponization against the American people. We've heard recently that people who um, were in the, the Washington, D.C. area around January 6th were caught up in an informational dragnet. We know that. That happened. And then what happened was the American government went to the people's phone companies and banks and whatever other kinds of organizations, stores, Cabela's, uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, and all those things that they went to find out if there were is any cross-pollination between people in Washington, D.C. there and Dick's Sporting Goods, for, for instance. Not that Dick sells guns anymore, but they used to. Yeah. And so um, this is the kind of thing, like buy, or buying books, certain kind of books. Imagine this. In America today, where they go through your receipts on your bank statement and they find out, well, they went and bought a Bible. They're, they're automatically suspect by the feds. This is, this is monstrous. And, and when you take it in dovetail with this organizational effort, this whole of government effort to propagandize and instill this hatred toward peace, people of religious beliefs, uh, specifically Christianity, the uh, hatred of white people with all the DEI stuff, the hatred of anyone on the right side of the political aisle, which is not hard to do in comparison to basically people who are communists, you are now um, the target of a fully weaponized government that will put you in chains. Let's go where Joe Biden went. We're going to put you all back in chains. Well, apparently the white people have now become slaves. And in fact, that's precisely what they're where they want us to be. Now, here's the thing, uh, Victoria. Um, everything you're saying, you know, is is uh, out there, and and I've seen it, and you've seen it, and you've written about it, and I've talked about it here. Um, it, I don't know how to explain this, but it's everything you said in the last minute or two that you just went off there, and I appreciated everything you said. Um, it, it's almost like it's too. It's also it's gotten to the point where it's too unbelievable to even accept. I know. And, you don't and, want to even countenance it. I can't yeah. believe my government would do that to me. Well, yeah. you better believe it because it's happening. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. It is it? It's kind of it. it I, I want to say it, it's been incrementally. These little things keep popping up, but the little things aren't really little things. They're big things, and even this mm-hmm. little thing that I brought you on to talk about the. Uh, the Rhode Island Media Education Lab and the Targeted Violence and Terrorism Prevention Grant Program, um, those things, if you read PJ Media or if, uh, you were, or, or the people who are responsible for this report at the Media Research Center, or if yeah. you listen to talk radio, you know, uh, conservative talk radio, you might you might hear about this. But you and I are talking about this, but 99% of the people in America have not the first clue that something like this is going on right now. And I'm just talking specifically well, about the Rhode Island thing. Uh, yes. Now, and, and because it's been expanded and weaponized and paid for by the U.S. taxpayer, the $700,000 grant, initial grant, to write all this stuff up and then disseminate it like a cancer to all the schools. Now, of course, 
you know what that is. That's just a part-time small initial grant. They're going to go in and they're going to ask for this grant every damn year is what they're going to do. And they're going to get it. That's what they're going to do. Now, that's what this whole NGO problem is, where they, you know, we heard this week in the United States Supreme Court, the idea of the administrative state getting so far out of hand. Now, where does this come from? The 1980s decision about Chevron and how to defer to the administrative state to make these decisions on and clarify the law on behalf of that entity, that state agency, in front in, in legal proceedings. And they call it the Chevron deference. And you can see that the administrative state has then subsumed the job of the legislature, legislative body, that's Congress, and furthermore, expanded its authority, uh, certainly become far more powerful. And then what do they do? They grant these little groups all over the country. They grant their friends who have started an NGO, a poor, former you know, person who used to work for XYZ agency who has an NGO now, and they're just sitting around and they've got their little their little beaks open for the the worms that come out of the U.S. government for a new federal grant, and that is what this is. This is all interconnected. And once you see it, John, once you see it, you cannot unsee it. No, you cannot unsee it. And and you know, I had I talked to a guy, J six kid. I mean, kid. He's not a kid. Um, and I will tell you for the first time what he's. I'm going to do an interview with him next week um, if I'm not deplatformed. <laughs> and and it is uh, his his very first um his very first red pill moment. He had been a a, a he called it a political atheist. He didn't want to have anything to do with politics. And you know what was the first thing that red pilled this guy? Hunter Biden's laptop. And the fakery and lying about the existence, the veracity, and the provenance of that laptop. And he thought, you know, what? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. How, did, how dare they say that obviously this thing isn't his laptop? Because apparently he got to get, you know, I, I, well, anyway. So, so, and you cannot unsee anything after that. And the first, and the first thing he ever did with, political ramifications was going to the president's speech on January 6th. The next thing you know, he's, he's, uh, he's up on federal charges and yeah. he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and this, 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 what I think this is important about this, um, this, um, literacy campaign that there are their me- media literacy, whatever it is they're pushing, mm-hmm. um, is that it's, it's going on under the radar but it's there. There are people who are maybe conservative Christians, um, not liberals, not Democrats, who are sending their kids out to school next week, mm-hmm. and they have no idea that they might be being taught by people who have been trained how to turn them into liberals and to turn them against oh. their, their 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 everything, maybe even including their Christian faith. Right. Well, they've been doing that in schools for a long yeah, but, time, and but they didn't know that the when, government was was training people with my tax dollars to send my kid to school to be taught what I don't want them to be taught. 
Can you imagine the sales pitch to parents? Oh, with the government program. Yeah. I mean, this is the imprimatur of the government's on it. Obviously, it must be fine for your children. Because, of course, they have expanded the very, apparently, we didn't realize how malleable the uh, idea of terrorism is now. Now, people with different viewpoints that are separate and distinct to the right of the left, which is pretty far over there, are now considered to be terrorists. Yeah, and... um... How do the parents know if their kid's school has been infiltrated by these idiots? Well, you find out, You what you do is you go, uh, you'll call your school board, or you call your local school, and you find out if they've got this program in the class that encourages the use of these Rhode Island media education lab programs. Mm-hmm. The Ad Fonte which I assume is something to do with Spanish language, probably A-D, capital F as in Frank, O-N as in Nancy, T as in Tom, E-S, Ad Fontes, and NewsGuard. And though, I've heard of NewsGuard, and yeah. they, they tried to do this in Europe, they, the total information uh, program in Europe, and that is underway, and they're trying to bring it to the United States. It's the same thing. It's a, it's a, a governor, if you will, put on the language of news and then, as you can see on Twitter, as you can see on Facebook, being the organization that decides what is true, what is not, and what's disinformation. Now, judging John based on what has been happening in the past four, five years, what do you think, what viewpoint do you think would be oh, the most yeah, right. uh, I think I know. censored? Here's here's I got a couple minutes left. We're talking to Victoria Taft of PJ Media. She also is the host of the Adult in the Room podcast. Um, I got to get you on this year. We're going to have that. That's happening. Okay. There there are so many things happening, all seeming to come together right now. What's happening at the border in Texas? Um, yeah. Stuff that that um, we know that they're trying to do to Donald Trump, and um, I'm beginning I'm, and. I've I've had the guy on. I've had the guy on from uh, Texit. You know what what Texit is? Um, no. Texit is Texas seceding from the union, and oh, okay. they, they are in the process of getting that on the ballot down there. And the polls show okay. that there's a lot of support for it. Uh, they they tried to get it on the ballot in March for the primaries. They something happened to some kind of clerical issue, but it's probably going to be on the ballot in November. So the reason I'm bringing this up is that the more I hear and see things like this, the less insane it seems to me that a state would want to say, you know what, I'm not, I don't want to be involved in this anymore. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that crazy? Yeah. Is it? I, I know. It, it, I just. Well, I, I guess what I'm saying Texas. is, it sounds less crazy to me every day. Not, uh, Texas was its own nation. That was a standalone. That's right. Country. Yeah, it'd be a good but guest to get on your on your uh, on your podcast if you think about it, um, especially now with everything that's happening down there on the border. But when when you find out that the federal government is doing what we just talked about here with the Rhode Island Media Education Lab, why would yeah. you want? Wh- wouldn't you start to be begin to believe that you don't want to be involved with this federal government anymore? Yeah, I, I yes, absolutely, I don't, absolutely, and I don't I don't think it's crazy. I, I I really don't, and it's uh, 
Um, and, and at the same time, Victoria, you have people out there saying they want to get rid of the Electoral College. Right. Um, right. Well, and the other thing that you haven't brought up yet, which I think is really interesting, is that this program was instilled like an embedded tick by a guy who is the chief of staff of the DHS during the Trump administration, who had written an article in the New York Times about how he was working from within to resist and do anything he could to upend anything Donald Trump wanted in the department. Can wow. you believe that? Yes, you can. Yeah, of course. Well, it's it's getting crazy. And uh, as I said, um, I, I may be I may be leading the charge for seceding from the union. I could start. I could start with seceding from Pennsylvania uh, and moving to West Virginia, yeah. but that's another story. Hey, hey, Victoria, I'm out of time. Oh. I appreciate you coming on. People can find you at uh, pjmedia.com and also the Adult in the Room podcast. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Okay, that's Victoria Taft, and I'll be right back. Well, Gavin Newsom uh, may have actually done something right. The California General Assembly passed a bill to ban tackle football for kids under 12 recently, and and uh, Gavin said he was going to veto it, believe it or not. I think the California General Assembly might have been on to something there. I can't believe that, but um, I, I guess it's true. But I've been thinking in, uh, uh, that putting little kids in helmets and pads and I mean little kids now, uh, was kind of dumb for a while. Frank Bull was a sportscaster in Kansas City for 40 years. He also was one of the stars on uh, one of Central Catholic's best football teams about a million years ago. He's old, <laughs> he's old like me, and he played running back at Villanova, and he joins us now. Frank, thanks for coming on, man. I'll stag any time for you, my friend. You know that. So you're all, as I said, you're old like me. Uh, do you think... Uh, uh, and I like to finish sometimes on Fridays here with a sports story. And then this is this is one of those stories that isn't an X and O stories that I like. Um, you, you, do you think keeping kids out of helmets and pads until they're at least twelve is a bad idea? No, I don't think so. And I played football. I think we both played football. Started playing football about the same time. Around the sixth grade is yeah. when I yeah, remember first yeah. putting on pads. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, we played. You know, younger than that, we played football. A lot of times it'd be two hand tag or it would be uh, tackle without mm-hmm. equipment on. Right. Uh, but uh, you know, my first organized football was uh, was sixth grade, and back in those days, you know, these days they have sixth grade teams and they're they're separated according to weight, and you can't be a certain size to run the football and all that sort of stuff. Back then, the sixth, seventh, and eighth played together as one team, and so you had to practice and scrimmage against the eighth graders and then play against sixth, seventh and eighth graders on, on other teams. So it was just one football team. But I, I do, I, I do believe it, especially since all the CTE stuff has come out yeah. and they talk about the thickness of the skulls and how much your brain moves inside your skull and slams from side to side and, uh, you know, repetitive hits like that and how much damage it can do to a young brain, even an older brain. So it's um, it's uh, I think it's a good idea. Yeah, I didn't see the word organized anywhere in any of the stories about this. Mm-hmm. So you would hope that kids would still be playing tackle football without helmets and shoulder pads out in their backyards and you know pickup games without parents and coaches around. I tell me what you think, but 
I think maybe parents and coaches are the ones that might create the problems more so than the, the helmets and the shoulder pads. Right. And I'm not going to disparage coaches too much, except from this standpoint, some coaches are very good coaches and are teaching the right techniques. Other coaches don't really know what the hell they're doing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's, it's a parent who is coaching, you know, and I think you know, they want to get involved with their son's you know team or whatever and, and be close to their sons. And now these days daughters. And I, I just think, you know, a lot of those guys are just not educated enough in the game of football and technique to avoid those injuries with those young kids as far as tackling is concerned, et cetera, and how different it is in this day and age than it used to be back in our day and age. Yeah, now, um, when you've watched little kids, and I'm, I'm talking here about you know eight, nine, ten-year-old kids, when you've watched those little kids in helmets and shoulder pads uh, playing in a game, does it look like they're having a lot of fun? Uh, <laughs> only the ones you see romping for 60-yard touchdowns. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they might be the only kids having a good time. Yeah. The defensive backs are sort of throwing an arm out there and going, I ain't tackling that kid. Right, right. You know, I don't think, I don't think that kid is. And and I, I do believe this, too, just it's along the same line. I think when you start that young, you chase a lot of kids out of the sport that might, if they started at an older age, would stick with it. And I think that's the big thing as well. You'll get kids who are 8, 9, and 10 years old, and they'll, they'll take maybe one bad hit, uh, you know, where it hurts. I mean, you know, hurt the shoulder, or they, they, you know, they bruise a thigh, or they turn their ankle, or whatever. And then that kid just shies away from the game and says, I don't want to play that game. Whereas if you started those kids later when they were starting to mature and grow into the game a little bit more. I think that would really help. And playing tag or playing flag football might be the key if you still want your child to learn the fundamentals to play, you know, tag or, or flag early and then and then graduate into a tackle. Could putting pads on them actually make it more likely in some cases that they'll get hurt? Oh, sure, because they're going to hit you harder with pads on. They think they can't get hurt with the pads on. I think you and I have talked about this before. Putting a helmet on, just I have a weapon. Mm -hmm. You know, my my head now, I have a weapon on my head. I have something hard around my head, and I I have a weapon here. Yeah. Well, um, and and you played a lot of football and uh, covered it out there in Kansas City, um, and you played in high school and college, but... So you know that there's a lot more time spent practicing than there is playing, uh, more so in football and just about any sport, really, any team sport. Is it the practices that could be a problem with these young oh, kids? Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, because, you know, that that's where you're doing a lot of the hitting, and it's not a whole lot of fun because you're, you're hitting your teammates. Uh, just like they said, you know, there's so much practice. There's five or six days of practice for every game in football, and those practices are extremely physical. You might have three baseball games a week or two basketball games a week and practice in between, and even when you're practicing, you're doing a lot more running than you're doing uh, any hitting or anything really physical like that. Yeah. So football is a totally different sport. And, yeah, I, I tell parents this all the time. Yeah, oh, my kid doesn't want to play, and I really want him to play. I just said, hey, football's not uh, for everybody. It's, it's a different sport. You have to have a different mindset. Uh, it is just not for everybody. And here's the thing, and I mentioned this a minute ago, that, that, that you know, the word organized wasn't 
doesn't seem to be coming up in this discussion or uh, and people just um, assume that kids don't play anything anymore unless it's organized. So if you're talking about playing tackle football, if somebody said to me when I was 11 or 12 years old about uh, playing tackle football, I would have, just as much as I might have thought about playing for the grade school team, I would have thought about playing tackle football outside, you know, uh, six-on-six tackle football in somebody's backyard where we tried to kill each other. And that, that I don't even know if that exists anymore. And I'd hate to see them outlaw that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, the deal is, too, and, uh, you know, you can ask anybody out there on your way home from work today or, you know, on your way in from to work tomorrow or whatever. And I know it's not a weekend day, but even doing it during the summer, you have an open field or an open ballpark, and there's all these great recreation areas for these kids, even playgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, you never see them out there playing with just a bunch of kids. They all got out there together. They all made their own rules. They all pick the captain to pick the team. Yeah. Uh, you know, okay, you get the first pick, I get next pick, I get the next pick, then you get one, you know, you do back and forth, then go and, and then if you have a if you have a, a an argument about something, you settle the argument yourself right there on the field and you just don't see that anymore. Unless there's a parent out there, those kids aren't anywhere near any of those fields. They're all inside, they're all in their screens, they're all doing things that uh that they'd rather do than going out and playing a pickup football game. And uh, we're talking to Frank Bull. He's a former sportscaster in Kansas City for a long time and uh, played at the uh, Central Catholic uh, on a great team, Central Catholic, back in the 60s and also played at Villanova. So he's, he, uh, and you did some coaching too, as a matter of fact. So you, you know a little bit about football. Um, I, I just wonder with, um, with what's going on now in, with kids in sports, um, the future of football. Uh, do you think as many kids are coming out for it? Do you do you, are, are they are they making it less attractive to kids? You talked about kids giving up on it after they get smacked around a little bit, um, but I, I'm just wondering about like the culture and the mentality and 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 the way parents look at the game now compared to the way they might have looked at it 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, right. Or even ten years ago, yeah. before they first started coming out with the CTE studies and talking about the concussions and how that may lead to problems later in life. And I think that has all calmed down now. I think now that they've changed the helmets, they've changed the tackling and blocking techniques, they're taking the head out of it. And they're also now really emphasizing uh, girls playing football, too. And flag, and yeah. And women, they're playing flag. And there are, you know, there's several high school football teams around here that actually uh, have had uh, girls other than uh, kickers, playing high school football so you know they've had them on you know some defensive backs i think there was a running back as a wide receiver uh in in this area that they played high school football this year and uh yeah they were they were enough to play i know they all they all lettered you know that's why we heard about them so much because they were playing it wasn't like they were just sitting on the bench and doing nothing Mm -hmm. so um yeah but they are definitely and they're organizing the nfl is into the organizing the flag football for women which is which brings a brand new audience into it as well. You know, now the young ladies can play the game, they um, you know, and they can uh, they, they can relate better to the game and they enjoy the game. So they enjoy watching it more. They enjoy playing it more. So they have a whole new audience there. Now, what do you think would be the effect if if uh, kids just stopped playing um, organized um, tackle football with equipment 
and it just became widespread. And and the kid didn't even put the first uh, put his pads on for the first time till he's twelve or thirteen years old. Do you think that you would mean, have a major effect on the development of players or no? Oh yeah, I think it would. Yeah. Oh oh, you mean that? You mean not giving it to them until after they're twelve? Yeah, but I mean you could still be playing oh, no, football no, that, somewhere, that but just not affect, in pads. That, you mean ban it altogether with no pads? No, what I'm saying is if, if that, if, if this were to come to fruition and all of a sudden, uh, organized football for kids that age was discontinued, um, oh, in, in pads. Yeah, I, I don't think it would hurt that much. Uh, especially if, if you groom them, if you get them to play flag football or whatever, I think a lot of those kids would be chomping at the bit to play tackle football. Yeah. So if you waited until they were freshmen, then everybody comes in with the same uh, basic, uh, you know, skill set, yeah. you know, and then you can teach them from that age when they're old enough to comprehend what you're teaching them as well. Mm-hmm. Why you're taking the head and the helmet out of the game, you know, you just let them know. And you and I talked about this too. There've been several old football coaches, you know, old line coaches, who said, you know, the easiest way to, uh, you know, minimize. Uh, head injuries is to take the face mask off. Yeah, Joe Paterno said that. Yep. There's nobody that's going to lead with their face or their nose or their helmet if you don't have a face mask on. So you're definitely going to lead with your shoulder. You're going to try to keep your nose out of it, your teeth and everything else out of that situation. So, you know, that that would be something. But if they can continue to take the head out as much as they are taking it out now, because you just don't see it used as much, which is good news, mm-hmm. uh, is is the fact that I think if you took away organized football, it, it, you know, until 12, then everybody's on – they're all on the same page. Yeah. So I don't I don't think it would hurt that much, no. And um you and I came from an era when um <laughs> when when I remember at practice playing bull in the ring. Um and it was just I, I it was one it was two guys in, in the it was a circle of players, everybody wearing pads, and one person was in there just getting beat up and then it was the next person's turn. And it was just that's what you did every day in practice. Yeah, that's right. It was the, uh, you throw the guy in the middle and then he had to break out of the ring. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they just knock him from side to side. Yeah. You especially did that. It was always the older players against the younger players. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you're picking on the, the smaller kids too. Also the old Oklahoma drill, mm-hmm. which has basically been outlawed where two guys lay on their backs yeah. with their helmet to helmet and then they jump up off the ground and just one guy smashes in the other guy tries to get by him. So yeah. I, yeah, I that, was, that whole... I was four foot seven, 85 pounds in eighth grade. So what <laughs> hey, I did listen, was I wasn't much bigger. So yeah, they couldn't you know, catch think, me. That was the good thing. Yeah. I was terrified. Yeah. I wasn't going to let yeah. anybody put their hands on me. Hey, so, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, we're talking to Frank Bull. And uh, as I said, he's a sportscaster out in Kansas city. So before I let you go here, I got a couple minutes. Um, has the city recovered from uh, the weather last weekend? And uh, the football game and everything that went on out there, the trauma. This will be very interesting because I think our, uh, I think it was University of Kansas Medical Center and the Kansas City Fire and Police Department said that there were 69 calls from Arrowhead, which is now GEHA Stadium yeah. at Arrowhead, but uh, 69 calls for frostbite, et cetera, et cetera, where it was weather related injuries or people calling for that. And we have now had our, um, 
our uh, local hospitals come out and say that's just the tip of the iceberg after this weekend because they've had several calls, not just obviously people who are at the football game, but just people in general. And they're telling us to prepare for within the next two weeks. I think when they treat frostbite and things of that nature, they have some remedies or some things they can use on on your extremities to try to bring that uh, to try try to bring that to life, back to life because yeah. it's dead. Wow. And they said you better be prepared. There's going to be hundreds of amputations uh, within the next couple of weeks. As a result of all uh, of all these people a, being out in that uh, weather. Are the result of all the people being out in the weather, not just at Arrowhead. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but just people in general here, because our our weather was as cold here as it has ever been. This is the coldest winter and stretch of weather they've had since 1983. And the 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 Chiefs are playing in Buffalo. If the if Buff if the Steelers had won, the Chiefs would be playing at home. And what it's going to be a high of two degrees or something tomorrow. Yeah, well, no. So Sunday it's going to be okay. Oh, okay. But by Sunday it's going to be all right here. It's going to be, I think it's going to be thirty-one degrees or something Sunday. And I think the high in Buffalo on Sunday is twenty-eight. The problem is today and tonight Buffalo is going to get some more snow. Yeah. And they've called the Bills Mafia out again to bring their shovels over to Highmark Stadium. Yeah. And they need people helping to shovel it out again. So, uh, but but the temperatures there won't be bad. I think by game time, it's going to be in the high teens, like around 18 degrees or something like that. So it's not going to be nearly what it was here. And just as a quick story, I know how much time you have, but one of the Chiefs players with his feet, and they won't tell us which one it was because it would give it away to Buffalo because Travis Kelsey talked about it on his podcast with his brother. One of the Chiefs players came in, and they put those hot hand things, but it was the hot foot warmers, <laughs> and, he put them, and he put them on top of both of his feet. On top of the socks, this is what you're supposed to do. But then they tied the shoe, and then they taped over the shoe. So those, so those heat pads were pressed down on top. He came out with two, four blisters, two on the top <laughs> of each foot. After football, and the guy was playing. Well, okay, he was playing in the game, so it was a little chilly out here. Yeah, well, I, I'm out of time, but that that uh, you know the, the the when they decided to have playoff games in mid to late January in places like Kansas City and Buffalo, they had to expect this. And that's you, what you absolutely, get. buddy, get a dome. Get yeah, a dome. down the road, we'll talk about <laughs> dome stadiums if we have time. But uh, thanks for coming on, Frank. Appreciate it. Hey, Stag, anytime. You know that, my friend. All right, that's Frank Bull, and we'll be right back. Well, if you're a man of a certain age, um, Sports Illustrated was kind of a big deal in your life from the time you were maybe a little kid, pretty well into adulthood, um, back in the pre-internet days. And if you subscribed to the magazine, which I did, I think it came every Thursday, uh, it was a big deal. Who was on the cover? What was on the cover? Uh, Every year there was the swimsuit edition that everybody was uh, looked forward to. Well, there's some bad news uh, for Sports Illustrated. Um, According to uh, a story here at Red State, um, they laid off most of the staff today. The entire future of the brand is in doubt. Um, This is another difficult day in what has been a difficult four years for Sports Illustrated under Arena Group. Uh, stewardship, that's what the union said in a statement. They have a union, writers, photographers, everybody, I guess. We are calling on ABG to ensure the continued publication of SI and allow it to serve our audience in the way it has for nearly 70 years. Well, 
what sometimes unions don't get people who are involved in unions, and I've been in one off and on, is that they, after a while, they start to think that the company exists so that they can have a job. And that's not why it, that's not how it works. They exist so the company can make money. And if the company doesn't make money, it goes out of business. Well, Sports Illustrated um, might be one of those examples of going woke and then going broke. They're a very liberal uh, magazine. Uh, they used to have the, the swimsuit issue, which was directed, you know, at men who wanted to look at really good-looking women in really small bathing suits, okay? And a couple of years ago, they decided that it would be a good idea to put a transgender woman, in other words, a man pretending to be a woman, on the cover of the swimsuit issue. Uh, that speaks so much to the philosophy and who's working at the magazine and everything that would that, that there would be enough people there to see somebody come up with that idea and let it go. That tells you all you need to know about the way people at that magazine think, and it should tell you all you need to know about why it's about to go out of business. Talk to you on Monday. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.